Yeah, it was Global Times. And they're like, why is there no progress at this Tesla factory? And then a few weeks later, Elon gets in a jet and brings his girlfriend or ex-girlfriend along, and they're in China. And So, and, so uh, yeah. if I had to put my tinfoil hat on, that was pressure. The Tesla Q podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended for and should not be used as financial, investment, or trading advice. Research associated with fiscal decisions should be conducted elsewhere. The host of the show possesses no license or credentials to warrant accepting advice based on what is heard on the Tesla Q podcast. Additionally, even though the host and guests may hold positions in companies discussed on the show, they do not have insights into the next time step of the simulation. Therefore, do not make any financial decisions based on the contents of this podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tesla Q podcast. I'm your host, TQ as dubbed by Tesla Charts in the Blockbuster interview from episodes 9 and 10. Today, we're going to have an interview with Phoenix10 from Twitter. Before we get started with that, thanks to everyone who downloaded and listened to the interview with Tesla Charts. I know there was uh, a big bunch of people that have listened to that, over 2,000 downloads for the first part at least, and I know that there was at least one dietary impact from, from that interview as Tesla Charts ate a Hot Pocket today. Uh, <laughs> Elmer, Elmer Fudd was, was pretty excited about that, as he calls Tesla Charts his dad. If you want to help support the podcast, there is a cash app a link that you can go to. If you go to the, the Square Cash app and search for Tesla Q Podcast, that's T-S-L-A-Q Podcast. Or if you go to cash.me slash Tesla Q Podcast, you can donate some money and that'll help defray some of the costs of hosting the podcast. And that'd be appreciated. Also, if you could go put some reviews on iTunes that would be good for the podcast so I hear and with that we're going to get into the interview so I'm joined today by Phoenix 10 who also has smartish in parentheses as part of his Twitter name welcome to the Tesla Q podcast Phoenix 10 well well thank you for having me but I have to ask you guys a question do you guys find it a little strange that Tesla charts hasn't had a hot pocket till now I thought, uh, it was a, I thought it was a birthright to be an American. Uh, it, it's a little bit strange. I, I think he might be a bit bougie. Uh, <laughs> a little bit bougie. Maybe. Well, you mean, you, you mean the, the Rolex didn't give that away? The yeah, wine. and the, the Bloomberg keyboard. Yeah, I, yeah just a just little bit a little. bougie. <laughs> okay. Phoenix 10, how, how did you become involved with Tesla Q? How, how, oh, my God. What is your Such Tesla Q origin story? Oh, that's a good one. So, so... Just, just to go back on a little bit of my background, right? So um, I came from the automotive industry uh, for the first two-thirds portion of my long and esteemed career. I've been in the automotive industry. I started primarily in engineering, ops, and, and manufacturing and assembly. So, so I got involved with Tesla Q because I actually am one of the few guys, I think, believe uh, between me and Dean that actually own a Tesla product. We actually... I own a Tesla Model S. So I got involved with that because I just realized it's like, man, this this car is really expensive. It's like $100,000. But I was like, man, it, it drives okay, but the fit and finish issues are just not there. It's just not great. You know, it's like for a $100,000 car, you would expect a lot more. So I started digging into the forums, reading about, huh, a lot of other people were having same fit and finish issues or similar stories along that line. Then, then I got into Twitter. Then, oh, my God. <laughs> When you get on the, the, the dollar side Tesla Twitter, you're like, oh, it, it's insane. That's when you just get sucked into the insanity that is uh, Tesla Q. Indeed. So 
about how long have you been in the automotive industry? You don't so have to be exact, but yeah, but roughly. so the first two thirds of my career, probably like close to going on like 20 years in the automotive industry. So I started in big three automotive, uh, powertrain development, and worked my way up to managing large teams in the assembly plant and also running factories. So you, you asked a question earlier, I think you, you were saying that, like, you know, when, when you run a factory, you're basically responsible for a lot of things. You're responsible primarily for the people and the employees within the factory, then, you know, the safety of those employees, you know, then the financials of the operations. And quality is a huge part of it, and just in production. So you're you have end to end responsibility for that operation. So again, I used to run automotive factories. So uh, that's been my background. So you know a little bit about the traditional automotive manufacturing companies, yeah, and how it's <laughs> how it's typically done. Yeah, how it should be done. You know? oh, okay. You can there, there's really not a lot of innovation into into automation. I mean, excuse me, into assembly. You know, it, or, or factories, there's not a lot of innovation. It's just a lot of hard work, you know, and what Tesla was trying to do is not anything innovative. You know, if anything, they were just trying to do stuff that was, they were trying to basically just push things in super fast and say, this is, you know, we're trying to disrupt the way autos are being done. And it's like, no, you're not trying to disrupt the way autos are being done. You're just doing it differently. And it's, uh, unfortunately, it's biting them in the ass right now. So, the alien dreadnought was not the best idea. Is that is that what you're saying? So, but the alien dreadnought was so. So, uh, if you look at the videos of everything that's going on, like a lot of they show a lot of what we call body and white, uh, which is where they do the assembly of the panels, right? So it's either welding, riveting, or gluing. So all those large and giant robots for for moving the the bodies. All it is is a material handler. All it is is moving it, right? And this is nothing new that, that they were doing. It's something I actually worked on way back in the mid-90s for that type of robotic type of movement and what we call robotic framing of the body. You know, instead of what we call use, using hard tools, hard tools are like giant fixtures, you know, that are the size of like, you know, your house. They were using robots to do that instead. And it wasn't anything, it's nothing new, right? So it's it's stuff that a lot of, other OEMs are already doing. So moving backwards, you said you have a Model S. Do you still own the Model S? No, sold it. Okay. Did did you get a good deal on the sale? Or... <laughs> no, let's just so let's just say that did you, uh, I took did a you loss. take a bath? Okay. <laughs> no, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad. Better than um, better than the CPO prices that we're seeing now. Yeah, that's uh yeah exactly better than definitely a little bit better than CPO. Uh, prices that we're seeing right now and it's just I, I don't know how they're handling all their leases that are coming in but that's definitely better than that you've been an auto assembly guy mm-hmm. would you consider yourself an environmentalist or a car guy definitely a car like guy and, and, and a little bit of a a little bit of a, a tree hugger right you know it's like, it's like mm-hmm. yeah i want to do the right thing i i believe in solar power you know i believe in like you know clean renewable energy it's just but it also has to be a little bit where you have to make money at it too. You know, you can't just like constantly subsidize mm-hmm. these type of efforts. There has to be a financial incentive for uh, to take risks from you know whether they're investors or entrepreneurs and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I do consider that I am in that camp, even though I am anti-Tesla. So, is that part of why you've developed such an interest in Tesla? Or 
No, it's just because I because I, I own the vehicle, right? And, and so I, I'll just tell people what I had, the problems that I had with it. But again, the expectation for a premium high-end vehicle is, hey, the benchmark has to be up there with Audi, Mercedes-Benz, right? And I was like, okay, the acceleration is great because, you know, getting the instantaneous torque. But you're not getting the quality fit and finish issues that you would see inside like a Mercedes or an Audi. You know, and I can compare directly because I actually had a Mercedes-Benz. Uh, and I said, hmm, it's not as quiet as my Mercedes. The acceleration is better, but the fit and finish wasn't there. But, like my touchscreen would be a little bit glitchy at times. And there'll be times when it will have to reboot. And it doesn't have like the 360 camera on my S, which, you know, which I, I liked a lot on, on my Mercedes. I was like, oh, this is really nice, you know. And uh, the other things that I saw was just like, you know, like my A-pillar, you know, interior trim wasn't attached correctly. And there was always a small gap, you know. So I was like, huh, what, what, are, what are the problems there? You know, then, then you start digging into like the touchscreen issues and why does it keep resetting all the time on me? You know, and then I had like, you know, slight, you know, I had slight window fogging issues on the inside of uh, my vehicle. I took it into the service uh, center multiple times to try to get that fixed. And uh, they weren't able to fix it, you know, and also had a slight pull, you know, in my, um, in my steering a little bit to the left. And again, had them come in and had it fixed, you know. And again, this was all fixed under goodwill, you know. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like a recall or warranty issue this was well, i'm probably it was a warranty issue but it was all fixed under goodwill yeah I, I don't think they're too keen on on recalls at tesla i i think that's probably a bit of a bad word within tesla's corporate culture yeah it cost them a lot of money yeah there was one over the i think it, there was news about it over the weekend of about fourteen thousand airbags or something yeah in china yeah from takata which i guess was a takata issue not a tesla issue but still it impacts Tesla. Did, did yeah, you have? Go ahead. I was going to say, did I was going to ask if you had autopilot on your Model S? Yes, I did. So interesting story about that. I actually did have autopilot, and that was actually one of the reasons why I bought the Tesla because I wanted to try out autopilot. It worked well if you're on a highway and with you know in the day without rain, and it worked pretty well. Um, but. I noticed that autopilot would go a little crazy with a lot of uh, shadows. And if you're driving under trees and if they, and it wasn't clear in terms of the lane markings. And I had a couple of times where it would just like, like uh, coming to an intersection, it would just wouldn't know what to do. So I had to take over. So I got to be honest here. I don't even have adaptive cruise control on my automobile. Mm -hmm. So do, do you have any like comparing and contrasting of Tesla's autopilot versus Adaptive cruise control for, say, a typical 2016 so so, model? Yeah, so let's say adaptive cruise control and autopilot work like, very like similar. Like for, say, Nissan, say a Nissan Altima or something something in that class. Yeah, so, so there was different settings on the uh, autopilot in which you can, where the adaptive cruise control portion of it, you can set the distance which is really nice. You could set it for like three seconds, two seconds, and one second. So you could be really close on somebody or really far away, which I liked. Autopilot, so I have nothing really to compare it to uh, in terms of like the other, because my, my, my Mercedes was a little bit older. It had adaptive cruise control, but it, it wasn't, uh, didn't have like, you know, like try to keep you inside the lane or anything like that. Um, it's hard for me to, to tell you what that difference was, but you could tell a little bit with your steering wheel that it shimmies a lot 
left and right, left and right, and try to keep you center in the lane. So it's constantly making adjustments. Was that a little bit disconcerting? Oh, not at all. No, no. It wasn't. A, no, it wasn't. It wasn't until it, it got into a situation it didn't recognize. Like a fire truck, or, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, like a fire truck. The heat is real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a little yeah. Tesla Q joke. Uh, if you pay a lot of attention on Twitter, apparently there have been a number of, of fire trucks that have been impacted by Teslas that were using autopilot. I don't know that there's an actual attraction of autopilot to fire trucks, but that's the ongoing joke on Tesla Q Twitter. So just just for some context on that. Well, that so, the fire trucks and, and, and obviously uh, a robot, right? So it pretty much hated that. Uh, yeah, yeah, robot. at the uh, Consumer Electronics Show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, in Vegas. That was just like two weeks ago. The big yeah. big headline story. So, so the great thing is that I've never, so I didn't, I never experienced anything like that, thank God, and uh, and I turned it off. So I, uh, so for the past year of driving the uh, S, I didn't have to worry about that at all. So in addition to telling your wife that she couldn't use it, you also stopped using it after hearing about the intern programming. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, because you know, there, there's. <sighs> Because, again, because of my background in all this in terms of, of cool. automotive, uh, yeah, automotive, like testing, validation, qualification of processes and system, you, you, you basically in, in the automotive space, right? So there's a reason why it takes a long time to develop a car. It takes roughly like back in the day when I was really into this, we were going from 60 months to 36 months to develop a car. And in that time, you were trying to validate all the systems. So you would do all your DFX type work, you know, designed for X, whatever that may be. Then you would do a DFMEA, right? Then you would do a PFMEA. And part of the DFMEA process is trying to understand where could, the design things could break. Could you just explain those acronyms real quick for the listeners out there? Yeah, so the DFMEA is design, uh, design mode effect analysis or something failure design, modes and effect fail, analysis fail, yeah yeah dfms define failure mode and effect analysis Thank so you. basically <laughs> you you design it such that if and you look at each individual subcomponent and analyze if each subcomponent would fail what would what would take its place and take over to make sure that the overall system wouldn't fail yeah, Is so that, you would kind you, of a good idea, or good? yeah, so you would you know, assign like you know risk priority numbers against it, right? So it would be like what, what's the severity of the failure, what is the occurrence of that failure, and what's the detection of that failure for something like autopilot? Like if it does like if it does fail, what is the severity of that failure, right? How often does it occur, and if it does fail, how often can we detect that, right? So you assign an RPN number against it, then within that RPN number, if you have really high RPNs, you would use a control plan to try to mitigate gotcha against it R rpm risk priority number oh yeah okay so getting away from that minutia a little bit just comparing the development process and timeline for most auto manufacturers to what tesla did with the model 3 could you just talk about that a little bit yeah so it, it's hard for me to really say you know in in the sense of i don't know uh, how long it actually takes and what their uh, validation processes are, you know, their testing and validation. I'm pretty sure it was, you know, knowing that hey, it's automotive, it has a lot of safety issues, you know, um, or concerns with it that you probably would have to a lot of rigorous testing. 
and hardware and software testing, right? So I don't know about that. I know a lot about the, um, but the actually the the physical piece of the car testing because they have to meet all those standards and all those requirements. So there's a lot of federal motor vehicle safety standards that it has to meet. Yeah, like but, the NHTSA National Highway Transportation and Safety Administration. Mm-hmm. FMVSS falls under all that. So there's a lot of things they have to meet within that. So it has to meet your impact testing, your crash testing. And that's from the physical car portion of it. But the electronics of it or the software portion of those electronics, I don't know the testing that is required. Yeah, I I know for a particular other field, there's some very rigorous requirements for any any software coding uh, that has to be validated to get a license for using that digital software. I don't know if automotive has the same testing and maybe that's part of the development process as autonomous driving is being regulatorily it's developed as we speak basically. So again back to to the autopilot, right? There's a lot of a lot of stuff that we were reading uh, on Twitter and in the forums about how they were doing their tests and the way they're writing their codes. Right. And, you know, I believe there was a thread that was written by somebody that seemed like they were on the inside of Tesla and they were basically just saying that it was just junk coding. Yeah, right? I think I think that was a Reddit thread, maybe. Which Yeah, it was it was I, a Reddit thread. You're right. I probably opened it in a tab to read later and never got around to reading it. Yeah, like, it was like it, many, many other tabs. But. So, again, with with my with my validation type background, right, and qualification background, um, I was reading through and I was like, oh my God, they never tested any of these codes, you know, or they didn't go through, they re- didn't run it through extreme testing. And, you know, and, you know, in the, in the automotive space, you try to run everything to Six Sigma in terms of process capability, right? So you, you, you can't, you don't have any defects. So you don't introduce anything forward, right? You don't let anything escape into the field, right? And this whole entire thing with the, the way Tesla approaches, you know, all these, over-the-year updates, the way they even set up the tent, you know, it's just it's just ripe for releasing suspect product into the field. And now it's in the hand of consumers, you know, driving these things, and it puts their life in danger. Yeah, that's not a good situation to be in. Mm-hmm. One item, separate from, somewhat separate from that, that that I've that's been on my mind a lot over the weekend, as there was a bunch of snow in the Northeast is the the range of the Model 3. It seems like there's been maybe a bigger reduction in range from extreme cold weather than than was expected. I don't know if they did any testing in advance. I, the most extreme example I mentioned on episode 11, which people may not have listened to yet, but apparently there was somebody who had 19 miles of charge and they went to a supercharger and plugged in and it was going to be four hours and 50 minutes until they could get to a full charge. I don't know what the outdoor air temperature was in that situation, but it seems like from a f- that and a few other anecdotal stories over the weekend that maybe maybe the the penalty for cold weather is, is much more extreme than was anticipated in advance. I don't know if you, you may not have any insights into that, but that's just me so rambling. Yeah, there's 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 a lot of questions about cold weather testing, right? So back in the day, there was a uh, there would so the traditional automakers will always do cold weather testing, extreme cold weather testing, right? So 
uh, I'll just name a city in Minnesota, Bemidji, right? So there would we would do drives up to Bemidji, and you would do cold weather testing. So you would run it through a full gamut of your testing protocols on a test track, and you would leave it overnight. You would actually spray it down, you know, with water, you know, overnight and just let it freeze, you know, and you were testing in those type of conditions to see what the startup, uh, any issues that you could potentially have, any leaks that you may have, you know, like, you know, like, I don't know, to be honest with you, if Tesla did that type of work to see what the degradation in the battery supply would be or a battery pack or it's like, okay, if it's, you know, minus if it's freezing, you know, and we had to start this car up in a dead cold, you know, what is the range? Or if we had to turn the, the, the heater on, what would the range be or what could potentially be the issues and concerns? And I don't know if they did that type of work. And again, from reading from everything that we see on social media, I believe they skipped it. That's just my guess because yeah. you cannot you cannot have these many type of issues in the field. Mm-hmm. The door opening issue seems very clear to be an actual issue. I know Tesla's videos they've put out; they've shown Model Threes driving in the snow. I don't think there's a, I don't think anybody really has any question about the handling. I mean, the real question as of this weekend is how much is the range degradation? And with the with the increased price of supercharging that came out just uh, Friday, I believe, mm-hmm. making the electricity cost be more expensive than gasoline if you have a car that gets above, say, 35 miles per gallon. I forget who put it out. Might have been Badger 24. Might have been somebody else. Badger. Might was be it Badger. Badger? Yeah. But it was about... Uh, like, where does Tesla fit in the, the hierarchy of markets? Like, when they first started, they were a, a luxury, battery-only EV company. And mm-hmm. with only S's and X's, they gave out free supercharging, and it was kind of an exclusive thing. Now that they've moved down market, not to not to be offensive using that term or anything, but it's a cheaper vehicle. With the Model 3, now the superchargers have long lines and in cold weather apparently they're much slower than than in warm weather i the value proposition just really isn't there compared to say a chevy volt like tesla charts drives <laughs> yes as, as uh, a quick at hand example which yeah. is being i believe that's i believe they're doing away with the volt which a little bit sad because it makes sense to have a battery that can get you the average daily commute and then a range extender, yeah, tacked on with it. So, it so just... I, I also I also own Priuses too. So I've I've done you know I've done full electric, I've done hybrids, gasoline, diesel. So I have a full range of all of that stuff. So getting back to more of your expertise, mm-hmm. the tent production. Uh, apparently, when pictures of that came out, you you got a little little heated on Twitter. So do you think some of the quality issues that have been seen out in the field, out in the real world, could be directly related to the tent production? I think it's systemic, right? And I think it's systemic and cultural within Tesla. I think they were producing shoddy vehicles before that. And, and when they put up the tent, it made it even worse. Because I, I remember a quote um, Elon was basically saying. He, he said that the quality of the vehicles coming out of the tent was just as good as the normal production line. And I looked at it and I, and I just read that and it's like, okay, that's really bad. 
because you so so my, my my thought on this is and there's a lot of people out there it's like oh this is great this is disruption right it's like no 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 you guys completely misunderstand what they're doing it is pure desperation right that they were doing that because you have to look at it from a a, from 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 an ops perspective, right? That, you know, you know. Are you familiar with the five M processes or like the Ishikawa? Not right offhand. So, like man, material, methods, environment, measurement. Okay. Okay. So that so when you, when you set up a production line, you take all those elements. Uh, you take all those elements, and in each one of those elements, you say, let's take like the 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 method, right? So. The method is the manufacturing process. Their manufacturing process that they put in the tent. They, so supposedly, according to what they said, they did it in basically about three weeks, right? So that method is completely different from the GA4 line, which is the robotic assembly line. So they were putting everything together with what manual lift assists, right, and manual tools, manual production. You know, very, very much what I would consider a prototype line or a pilot line back in the traditional automakers, right? Where we do where you don't have to buy a lot of heavy equipment or 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 fixtures or automation. So they put that in place really quickly, right? And they didn't they didn't validate any of that stuff. They didn't qualify any of that stuff. You know, they didn't do any factory acceptance testing. They didn't do any site acceptance testing. They didn't do any gauge R and R. They didn't do any kappas on their employees to make sure that it was repeatable. Right. And then, then we're reading online that they put a bunch of temp employees, like a bunch of interns on the line. And and Stanford sweatshirt lady. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know. I know. Infamous. Uh, yeah. And that, yeah, they, yeah. They didn't need to do that. We didn't have to go after her. There was nothing wrong with that young lady. <laughs> She's just doing her job. I just I just that image <laughs> sticks in my mind. Yeah. So when you put a bunch of unqual, so you, you were basically in that tent process, you were putting a bunch of unqualified process with untrained employees trying to do a manual process, right? To assemble a car. But, right? but it saved the company. <laughs> but it also right? put a lot of lemons out in the field. Put a but lot it, of lemons in the field. But it saved the company is what Elon said. I mean, that was oh the, the miracle. That's probably yeah, but, yeah, it. But I mean, is that also, what they're gonna do in Shanghai? In, in a little place called Shanghai? So real quick about that, right? So I have a lot of experience, obviously, working in China. I, I'm a little perplexed about Shanghai because so they so there's a couple key things that a lot of people don't know right they got the backing of the Chinese government the Shanghai the Shanghai government the secretary of the of the Shanghai Communist Party right and and Shanghai is a city state so it's not a like a a, a state in itself it's considered a city state it's very powerful all the past presidents of or premiers of China have come through Shanghai so it has a huge political place within China and the fabric of Chinese Communist Party. So the Shanghai secretary is one of the key members of Xi's inner circle. And he's also a standing committee member. No, I'm sorry. He's, uh, he's top 25. He's not a standing, standing committee member. He's part of the Politburo. So there's a lot of political might behind Tesla there. But the weird thing is, it's taken them a long time to build this factory, because I know how quickly they can build factories in China, right? And it's really going really, really slow. So I'm a, I don't know what's going on there, right? Uh, they have a lot of political backing, but yet 
the factories going up really slow when their whole entire, you know, like basically Tesla's business model in China depends on, on well, building Model 3s by the end of the year. Do they actually have funding, though? They, they haven't put out an 8K yet to say anything about that. And the only, I think the only Tesla employee that was there for the groundbreaking was Elon himself. So yeah, I, it's hard to say. I, I don't, don't know. know. I don't know. And but, you know, they, they, they stretch the rules on everything, so. Wasn't it uh, around December 26th that the, the video came out where they, I forget what the news organization's called, but it, they're basically a state news organization. And Global like, Times. Yeah, it was Global Times. And they're like, why is there no progress at this Tesla factory? And then a few weeks later, Elon gets in a jet and brings his girlfriend or ex-girlfriend along, and they're in China. And, so and, so uh, yeah. if I had to put my tinfoil hat on, that was pressure. All right, because I, they, 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 he met with them way back in July, I believe, in Shanghai. Then he went up to Beijing in July of, of 2018. But yet, they had, there was barely any movement on the grounds in six months. So I think they were putting a little bit of political pressure on him, saying, what's going on here? I, the, the fact that it was pr likely political pressure, I would definitely believe that without needing to put on too much of a tinfoil hat. Something I was listening to the other day, it might have been the Quote the Raven podcast interview with Mark Spiegel. I think somebody mentioned that the world record time to build a true automotive manufacturing plant was something like 24 months, and it was in China. <laughs> yeah, so, Volkswagen. Volkswagen in Xinjiang province. So Elon said that they plan to have production from this Shanghai factory by the end of 2019, or sometime within 2019. They just broke ground and had the uh, the picture of something like seven pile drivers when he was over there at the beginning of January. Is that completely a, a pipe dream, or, or do they maybe just plan to build a, a tent there to do maybe the final 10% of assembly? Or do you have any so, idea on that? It's hard to say, right? But if they have the full might of the Shanghai government behind them, it can be done. It can be done faster than that. It can be done by the end of the year, definitely. Okay. It's, so not, it's, not, it's, it's not a pipe dream. It can be done. It just depends on if the Shanghai government is fully backing them and funding them. Interesting perspective. Yeah. Since there's I have not a lot been an eight... I have a lot of insight into that in terms of like what can be done in China. Okay. Because factories have been built faster. I, I still haven't seen an 8K, so I don't know why... It, from my perspective, I don't know why a U.S. investor in Tesla would have any level of confidence that the Shanghai factory, even if it does get built, why any benefits from that would would why they would be confident that that would benefit them as a U.S. shareholder. But that's that's a, a, another story, I guess. Yeah, it's also out of my realm, right? Because I'm not a I'm not a finance guy, right? So I don't. I don't pretend to play one on on Twitter, you know. I just like I stick in my lane. It's like, nope. I know automotive. I know operations. I know quality. You know, I know the lies that they're talking about. You know, I know engineering. I try to stay within that lane. The finance stuff is, you know, done by better people than me. Uh, so that brings up a an interesting question that I maybe should have asked at the beginning. But do you have any any position financially in Tesla? Yeah, long dirty, long dated puts. Bankruptcy level? No, not really. It's, not, not it's quite. hard to say. It's hard to say because I, I don't. I, 
I, their business model sucks, but there's so many gullible people out there and there's so many people with too much money that don't know what to do with it, you know? So I have no idea, you know, what's going to happen. Neither do I. As I yeah. say, and as, as it says in the disclaimer for the podcast, the next step of the simulation is not within my my realm of knowledge. So, <laughs> yeah. and, you Don't know, take... he's got nine lives. He's got nine lives. He's like, every time we think it's the end, it's like, nope, pulls another fast one. So, even though he has nine lives, which one is he on? That's the question. Oh, yeah. It's hard right. to say. Maybe he's on eight or seven. I don't know. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as trading advice or investment advice. So yeah. always keep that in mind. I'll just throw Absolutely. a mid-roll disclaimer here, or mid-podcast disclaimer. So your, your pinned tweet is an article from October from Laura Kolodny that discussed mm-hmm. Elon's mis- discussed his micromanagement. And you also, uh, also in that article, there was a blurb about using the wrong accounting codes, which I, I remember that part of the article more than the rest of it, maybe. So could you go into some of your thoughts about Elon's management style and how that compares with some other companies that you've been familiar with or worked with? Yeah, so, uh, you know, let me let me just go back a little bit to what, you know, I see here, right? And I've always been, you know, when I was on the outside, I was actually a fan of Elon, right? Because I know what he's doing is extremely difficult to take on entrenched automakers to change the way they think to 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 basically innovate and disrupt right which was originally what he wanted to do it's very hard it's not easy you know because i can tell you like it early in my career i i was working on alternative vehicles and i remember putting a business case against alternative vehicles because it was too expensive and there wasn't going to be enough demand while Elon would take on the automotive industry and said, no, I'm going to create the man. I'm going to put in the infrastructure myself, you know, you know, in terms of billions and billions of dollars, you know, that he, he had to do that with. But it's just I, I know how difficult it was. But then, you know, from reading and all the stuff that I hear from the engineers on the inside and also from like, you know, all the social media stuff, I just see he's, he's a terrible leader. Right. He's a bully. He, he lacks focus. You know, you want a leader with a lot of focus, you know, that's passionate. Obviously, he's passionate, but he, had, he lacks focus. So is it, what is, is it work? possible, though, for him to focus with the, the Boring Company and SpaceX and Tesla and Neuralink and who knows what, Hyper, other, what other? Hyperloop, Hyperloop. Yeah, Hyper, yeah, Hyperloop. I think he whenever he threw that idea out there, he he didn't actually start a company as far as I know. So. I'll actually give him some credit on that one for not not pursuing it so that he yeah, didn't but, spread but, himself too thin. Yeah, but he but that that's all but under he, his own control. He he right? did encourage a bunch of other people to pursue it. I yeah. I've seen that there's some like collegiate contests of engineering groups and stuff that build hyperloop pods and such. Yeah, I mean just just running SpaceX. Let's just say it was just those two things, either Solar City, SpaceX or or Tesla, right? Just one of those companies, just running it as a CEO, is difficult as it is, right? The mission and what they're trying to do, trying to make money, you know, that is hard to do already. Then he goes out there and he spreads himself thin, then he creates this stupid, boring company where it wastes, wastes like all these resources from both SpaceX and Tesla to do stuff like this, right? And then it throws money away, and it takes up bandwidth for him. So I see it as an incredible lack of focus. On his part, and I don't believe he listens to the people 
around him. I don't think he has, because he, he believes he's the smartest guy in the room, right? Mm-hmm. So he but, doesn't listen to the leaders that he has, that he actually hired to, you know, to stay on point, to actually stay focused. He doesn't listen to them. I, I think he, he keeps firing them. I think he might actually, he might actually do a decent job of that with SpaceX and Gwen Shotwell. Yeah, maybe, she, maybe, maybe. Although I don't know that she, I don't know that she has anything to do with the Starhopper in Boca Chica, but yeah, that's the side and, of the point. And I, and I think he's extremely like he has, you know, you know. When I would say he was a bully, right? His his whole entire thing is his his influential power is position power. It isn't influential power. Right, he doesn't try to influence without his position power. He just bullies people into doing his bidding. So that's, I mean, again, this is just stuff that I read and this is things that I see. You know, he doesn't listen to his employees. He doesn't listen to the people that he's actually hired to do the things that that they're supposed to do, and he's actually fired them all. Right? I mean, that's the reason why we have that running list of all the executive departures. Yeah, the the list is extensive. Yeah. Paul and, and it, Kutner, I think, is keeping it up to date. Yeah, him and Temp, right? So, I mean, the other thing is I believe he's extremely thin-skinned, right? He can't take criticism. He can't take feedback. As a I, leader, you actually have to listen and actually understand what people are trying to say to you. There are and, definitely, and digest all that. definitely instances where that's pretty clear. Yeah, he can't. Like, I mean, why is he on Twitter? <laughs> like, dude, just <laughs> the fact that he tweeted at Tesla charts and asked how big his short position was is one example. Of that. You know, his whole entire focus on the shorts and everybody that's on Twitter. I was like, dude, you have a ton of people working for you. You know, they can manage this for you if you just let them manage this for you. I mean, that's the reason why you you hired all these leaders, you know, mm-hmm. supposed leaders in the company. You know, and, and again, I have a little bit of insight because I know people within the industry and I know people within Tesla. They've said a couple of things like everybody knows. Everybody knows that he's the only boss and that he does just does his bidding. You know, I have people within the supply base that tell me it's like we'll never do business with them because he changes his mind too much. You know, and it costs them too much. On that topic. Do you know much about Panasonic and the battery stuff? I saw today that apparently Panasonic and Toyota may be going into some kind of joint venture in the near future. Yeah, and prismatic cells, right? So instead of uh, round cells, it's going to be prismatic. So it's a little bit more with energy energy density. You can put more in a module. Uh, Within a a given volume? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Mm -hmm. You can fill it out a little bit better. Weight-wise, basically the same, though, right? It actually might be a little bit heavier, but energy density um, is greater. Therefore, you can make the modules a little bit smaller. Okay. Fit mm-hmm. more into the car. Maybe yeah, have a bigger, yeah. bigger frunk or trunk or something. Fit more, <laughs> more frunk puppy, frunk puppies. That's hard to say. Yeah, frunk puppies. <laughs> exactly. So it's hard to say. I mean, there, there's people that understand the political implications of this and what they're trying to say to Elon by making these announcements. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I try not to read into that too much because, you know, I don't know what's going on. No, all I know is that it's a big deal for Toyota and Panasonic to do that jointly, I, you know, in China. If you're on Twitter, Kawasaki KR1, I believe, is going to be having some more come out in the very near future about his thoughts. Presumably him. I don't want to be presumptuous with people on Twitter, but I'm presuming it's a him. So... Be on the lookout for that if you're interested in uh, Panasonic 
battery joint venture with Toyota news and how that might yeah. play into Tesla. Yeah, and Kawasaki, I think, is a native speaker of Japanese, so I think he reads the actually Japanese version of the press. I think so. So, so, he, so he may. So he understands the tone of the message better, and he has a little bit of more cultural insight. Yeah, he he might be a good podcast interview guest sometime. He might absolutely get some, uh, some advanced knowledge on some of this stuff. So yeah, be very All interesting. Right. Any thoughts on the recent layoffs of both SpaceX and Tesla? And maybe the relation between the two. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you take a look at it from an ops perspective, right? So, I, you know, like Skabusha, I, I really pay attention to what he posts a lot in terms of like what the production is uh, at Tesla, because you know, in, in a production environment, you always want to be steady state, right? Steady state. You know, you you don't want to have dips and valleys in your production because you know all your all your improvements can be done when it's steady state. All your lean stuff can be done. All your process improvements can be done when it's steady state. And all these ups and downs, you know, I'm like, hmm, what's going on here? I'm trying to understand it a little bit. Uh, and I, I know that, you know, from a, just if I had to put my ops hat on and said, if I was running Tesla, what would I be doing to try to cut cost? You know, I would reduce my inventory, right? But we have conflicting reports out there that they're, you know, sending different signals to the suppliers versus actually paying them for a certain amounts. So like they're, they're sending signals of 10K when they're only paying for like 5K. So we have conflicting signals out there. Then the I would reduce inventory. I would slow, you know, pay suppliers. I would cut down daily overtime. I would cut down weekend overtime. Then if I had to do layoffs, I would get rid of temp and contractors, which is exactly what they're doing. Which I believe is double that number that they actually have, because the Fremont factory is not a the Fremont factory is not a union site, so they can have temp employees on the factory floor. All right, so I believe they got so that seven percent number that they said they threw out. They probably like, I believe they actually like maybe even reduced the headcount even more, total headcount, maybe closer to ten to fifteen percent. That would make sense to me. I think I even mentioned that on a recent episode. Because mm -hmm. the seven yeah. percent, the verbiage was full-time employees, so that's direct Tesla full-time employees. Yeah. And, and we're getting a lot of, you know, again, conflicting reports of actually where they're from, right? So there's a lot of investigation going on. And there's a lot of digging that people are doing. You know, like um, I believe the, that article they just had out about the, the the vet that just got laid off and didn't get his bonus. Yes. Uh, and that there's actually an article in the Mercury News, which is yeah, the yeah. Bay Area paper that was about that lady. I, yeah, so so I was just reading I was just reading his his profile, right? And he's like, okay, he's running small drive units, a rotor line. Okay, so how many small drive units are there actually on a vehicle? So all all wheel drives and performance has a small drive unit. And I was trying to figure out the capacity with a couple of the other insiders, right? Or what the actual capacity of the line is. I believe they are slowing down S and X. Hmm. Right? Well, they did just eliminate the seventy five kilowatt battery. So yeah. And we hour, were all, I should say. Yeah, but we were under the assumption, at least I was working under the assumption that they weren't going to impact volume. Hmm. But now it sounds like they're also going to impact volume of S and X. Interesting. Which is a big deal. Because you, you would think like they would constantly, you know, like in ops, you always, even if there's something that wasn't making any money, let's say it's like margin neutral, right? You want to keep running it because it pays the bills. Mm -hmm. But there must be something else going on there. So again, you know, there's a lot of, 
there's a lot of uh, thought process from from a lot of thinking, a lot of digging in, trying to figure out what's going on, you know, with by the other guys out there, you know, in Tesla Q. You know, it's like, huh, what, why did they kill the 75? Was it eating to the Model 3, the high performance Model 3, or is it really a cost issue, or were they margin negative, right? It's a good question. My thought is it's probably to try to entice some more Model 3 buyers, but yeah, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. I don't um, know. Based on our conversation so far, I'm guessing that the answer to this is going to be nothing. But what would cause you to change your mind on Tesla and to become bullish? Oh, to become bullish. Ooh, good question. Whew. If, oh, yeah, actually, if they got rid of Elon. They got rid of Elon, hired a guy like Hao Tai Tang out of Ford Motor Company. They might be able to turn this around. So you, you think there is the possibility they could turn it around? I mean, there's a couple of things I would do if I was running it. You know, I would I would hire somebody with a lot of industry experience, right, or a turnaround specialist. I would move production out of California because California is not a good state to manufacture. Try to move it either into like Texas or the South, right, and start over. So <laughs> starting over, that, that would probably require a lot of new capital. Yeah, potentially new capital. I mean, or restructuring after they shut everything down. <laughs> And that's, I think that you could be bullish on Tesla. To me, it sounds like that would be a new Tesla, not the, the, the current equity would maybe get wiped out in such a scenario. But again, Tesla, not, in it, yeah, not, Tesla in its current form cannot exist. Who are two of the, let's say, less prominent, quote unquote, Tesla Q Twitter people that you'd like to highlight as being some of your favorites? And I'm going to preemptively exclude Mark Spiegel and Tesla charts. <laughs> and uh say two because they're they're pretty prominent so yeah they are very prominent i would say i think extremely underrated is temp worker temp worker okay yeah do you know him I, or her i follow them i'm pretty sure i'm not i'm not sure anything stands out immediately in my head but oh my god this guy could or this girl could find anything it's it's amazing what this person could dig up I was like, man, how'd you find that? That's amazing. <laughs> the, the other person is Bubble. Bubble? Bubble Bubbles per- yeah. Septicon or something? Or Bubble Boy? Bubble Perception or- Bubble Perception or something like that. Okay. Bubble I, Crash I, 2000. I, <laughs> I, probably, I, I probably follow them too. Yeah. But those are the two most underrated, especially Temp, because Temp is just amazing. He just... Okay, I'll just assume it's a he can find anything. It's amazing. I wonder it's if just- the name is maybe in reference to being a former Temp worker for Tesla, maybe? I don't know. Maybe I don't know, but it's it's awesome work. You know, then all the guys that are on the shorty ground force right now. I mean, he's like, like everybody's coming out of the woodwork to take pictures, and everybody's mm-hmm. coming out of the woodwork to give their feedback. Everybody's coming out of the woodwork. It's just amazing work. I mean, there just the amount of data that we're gathering, right, mm-hmm. is, is incredible. Yeah, the uh, uh, operation snapshot from the very beginning of the year that uncovered. Yeah. I mean, that was that had some actual counts like down to the number along with some well well referenced estimates that came up with 4000 inventory vehicles which is probably the real number is probably 7000 cuz it didn't cover all the all the locations where Tesla's are sold so that that was a good that was a very very good summary report which might be nice to have an update of that in the near future not that I yeah I mean Tesla Q is not any kind of a hierarchy so i can't like assign them to do that but 
I mean, that's the great thing about what, this, right? Is, yeah, what, whatever the Tesla Bulls might say, we're all just a bunch of singular individuals that just kind of see things from the same perspective. We don't, we don't yeah. take orders from anybody. Yeah, the, the great thing is we're producing data, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it, it may be incomplete, but we're producing data, unlike the Bulls who don't have any data. Well, $4,000 a share, that's a data point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, outside of like, what is it, the, the VIN trackers on Tesla Model 3? Model, VIN uh, tracker? Yeah, Model 3 VIN tracker, I think. Yeah. Who, I who engaged that's, that's, me over the weekend, like, on two or three different tweets. Yeah, so I, I believe that's the only thing that's actually producing any data, right? Everything else is just well, feedback. You know, Troy, from people Troy that, Tesla that like, mm-hmm. was doing some good work. Yeah. And SmackCheck does some some good work sometimes. Okay. Well, all, I mean, all the work that I've seen was good from SmackCheck. So. Yeah, but it's not the amount of data that no, you know, the it, Tesla Q community produces, or at least puts out there mm-hmm. into the space. You know, and, and I'm very sure, you know, especially with what TC's been tweeting about the VINs, something's going on. <laughs> it's like somebody, yeah, that's, somebody, the, Tesla's paid attention. <laughs> the VIN numbers is definitely a big story. And this is only a hunch on my part based on nothing. But my hunch is that within 10 days, approximately, we're recording this on January 22nd. So between now and maybe we'll call it 11 days, February 2nd, Mm -hmm. I have a hunch that there will be a news article that talks about the VINs. Beyond the recent good article from Dana Hole, which indirectly referenced the missing VINs. Well, it didn't, didn't really reference them, but... Reading between the lines, she's kind of looking at some of the same data that Tesla Charts is looking at. Yeah, it's a, I believe there's there, there's something here. That will it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. It's like why is there a delay? What's going on here? You know, and and is it really We're being captured? only eight days away from the quarter four earnings report, and the deliveries for January should start coming out in early, early February, maybe February 2nd. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we just mentioned Tesla charts. So do you have a favorite Hot Pocket since Tesla charts finally <laughs> had his very first one of his life today? I know. Uh, I mean, we got the, what, what, what did he eat, the pepperoni one? I think so. That's like the most yeah. classic Hot yeah, Pocket that's out there. Yeah, I think that, yeah. I think that would be mine. You know, I like pizza rolls. Right? So there, I was a big fan of pizza rolls. Yeah, pizza rolls and, and pepperoni hot pockets are kind of the same thing, just in different sizes. There's a little yeah, little yeah. subtle difference between the two, I think. But um, my my wife, I actually asked my wife to get some hot pockets today, and she's she's a pretty good cook, so she was a little reluctant to to get as many boxes as, as I requested. <laughs> I want fifty, honey. <laughs> No, I wasn't. Put them on the freezer. Like, I asked for three, and she. <laughs> yeah, whatever, dude. You were. She talked me like down 50. to two. She talked me down to two. What, what can I say? I don't know if your wife loves you enough. She does. All right. All right. Since someone on Twitter liked this question enough to retweet it, this was from the Tes- the Tesla Charts interview. Okay. What do you see as the most likely ending to the Tesla saga, like in a a reasonable sense, and what's the craziest thing? that wouldn't totally shock you that you're willing to, to verbally say, because <laughs> there may be some in your head that, that might be too far out there. I personally believe Elon will be eventually be replaced. All right. So, uh, it feels like 
you just with everything that's going on in January, right? Feels like adults are taking over. Particularly the last week or so. Yeah, it's just like uh, with the, referral with program the, ending. Yeah. Supercharger price increase, the layoffs. Adults are finally taking over. So I think he's gonna be replaced. And the thing that's like, you know, just that's just wild and crazy is like there might be like some, you know, some billionaire somewhere or the Chinese government is like, yeah, we're just going to buy them, you know, and, and get, do a cap raise. So your crazy is that somebody would buy them. Okay. Yeah. Buy them or do, or give them, infuse them with a ton of capital. Right. That, that's crazy. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility, but it's definitely crazy. It's because like, if you look at their numbers, it's like, this makes no sense. Why would I buy this? Yeah. The, Especially when you consider the debt level and exactly. the accounts receivable and accounts payable. It's just yeah. not not a good financial situation. Yeah, Unless... and, and, you, and you listen to all the experts in Tesla Q. It, it, they just keep saying it's, it's not possible. But, you know, anything's possible with this guy. This guy's just nuts. Yeah, I think the biggest disconnect between the bulls and the bears is that the the bears on the Tesla Q side – compare tesla to all these other automotive companies and the bulls are like it's not an automotive company it's a (laughs) mobility as a service and transportation as a service company and they're gonna and they since they already have autopilot that's out there they have this massive lead over everybody else which i don't think that's quite the case i i think that people are overrating that factor considerably yeah I, i i believe everybody is like confused when they say that it's like no it's a car company and what they're really good at, you know, or what they're really bad at is execution of being a car company. Right. But but Elon's f- email said we're finally a real car company. <laughs> yeah. At the I believe that was the June thirtieth or July first email. We're yeah. finally a real car company. Yeah, and they're gonna have to deal with obviously all the pains of being a real car company. Mm-hmm. And the first thought that came to my mind when I saw that email was the number of times that I've heard people say, Tesla's not just a car company. Tesla's not just a car company. But that email when he was being so so celebratory about hitting 5,000 cars per week at 14% quality approximately. Yeah, first pass yield was 14%. <laughs> yeah. So the thing that, so just, just on that alone right there, that 14%, that is 14% of what they believe was good, right? And I guarantee you, at mm-hmm. such a low first pass yield number, that you're leaking. The, there was a bunch of defects in that 14% right, that people were catching. So they literally, I mean, you can't you can't inspect quality in, which is what they were trying to do. They were trying to inspect quality in. You can't do that, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like visual inspection is only 80% effective, you know. And so therefore, they were leaking all these quality problems out into the field. And I mean, this is what we're reading, right? So we're reading that constantly. I think Justin is constantly tweeting about that stuff. It's like all these issues that they're having with their vehicles. But when you're trying to do these stupid burst builds and saying that, yeah, quality is just as good and have a yield, a first pass yield of 14%, you know, you're, you're just, you're just shipping, you know, crap. So what's a typical first pass yield for a big three automotive manufacturer? <laughs> yeah. At the line, right. At final mm-hmm. assembly, if you're just counting final assembly, it's closer to like 90. And this 90. was back in the 1990s. Yeah. Okay. Sounds about right. That sounds like a good number. Yeah, I mean, there, but there's also a lot of rework that happens too. Like if somebody dings or dents something, but that's done at the factory. They don't ship it out 
so you know like we're seeing all these pictures of you know like factory gated you know or like these checklists on all these vehicles that they that the that the service centers actually have to go through because they're basically doing rework you know they're doing rework on the vehicle itself instead of doing it at the factory at the point of the problem they're just shipping it yeah i think two things that will always be remembered as being invented by tesla is factory gated and financially delivered those two yes terms, exactly financially which, uh, delivered not typical terms that you hear from an automotive manufacturer yeah we just uh, say shipped mhm so have you managed to listen to many episodes of the podcast so far? Do you have any feedback for how I can help continue to improve the podcast and make it better? Yeah, so yeah, so I actually listened, I think, the first two or three episodes plus all of uh, TC's interview. So it was really good. Um, just let it flow, right? So my thing is let it flow. You know, all right. Have, it, have a more natural dialogue, you know? Like, than, like we're than, trying to have right now? Yeah, absolutely. Just let it flow. Have a more natural dialogue and just let it, you know, that, that way – it's more natural and it's easier for people to listen to. Gotcha. I should be able to do that with the, the natural voice interviews. With the TC interviews, since we had to do the, the voice masking, wanted to have a clear break between my question and his answer. So that, that could have been slightly more natural if we didn't have to modify his voice. But Yeah. You could also voice. have a, a really cool soundtrack, too. I heard Joey Freshwater Experience has, a, has a, some soundtrack suggestions for you. Oh, I, I hadn't heard that yet, so... Just be careful. Some of it might make your ears bleed. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll I'll check those out. I I'm a fan of his uh, of his tweets. So yeah, I mean, just him and just all the the financial guys that are on there, right? The, with the finance background, it's been amazing. You know, cause yeah, he's. I'm just a, I'm a noob at all this stuff, so they teach me a ton. I think he's one of the more expert people with the the bonds, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. There's more, which are. <laughs> Which are coming due, uh, well, the convertibles are coming due on March 1st, which I've been paying attention to that just a little bit. Yeah, We're we'll see how clearly, this... clearly below 360 now, so not going to be fully converted as shares, doesn't look like. Uh, do you have any questions that I should have asked? We'll, we'll flip it, or sort of flip oh. it. What, what should I have asked you that I didn't ask yet? I, and we touched upon this a little bit, but um, I, I think the thing that ends them is their the quality and the impact to the brand right the quality of the vehicles that they have out there you know all the issues with service all the problems they're having getting parts and repairs and the shabbiness in which they put it all together and it, i believe it's going to impact the brand i i think you might be right with that yeah and you know like you know the guys that can afford like you know hundred fifty thousand dollar, you know like p100ds you know they'll just move on to something else Mm -hmm. Like a Porsche Taycan, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Porsche, the Jaguar nice. I-Pace, you know, like the e-trons or the, the Mercedes, you know, that, that, that will definitely impact them, you know, just because they don't manage this very well. They're doing such a poor job of it. I feel like they had an opportunity as the first mover, but they may have squandered it. Yeah, you would think that as a first mover, they'd be profitable. They definitely squandered that lead. And they squandered it and they damaged their brand. Mm -hmm. They definitely have damaged their brand. Agreed. Well, we should know a lot more about their financial outlook going forward once they release earnings on January 30th, which is next Wednesday. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd like to thank Phoenix 10 for being a guest here today on episode number 12 of the Tesla Q podcast. 
Thank you for having me. And with that, I think we'll call it an episode. Have awesome. a good one, everybody. Thanks well, again, bye. guys. And really quickly, an addendum, since this isn't getting released until Friday, January 25th, yesterday on the 24th, Charlie Gasparino tweeted about the convertibles that Tesla may have the cash to pay those off. The use of the word likely is not a very certain term, so take that as bullishly or bearishly as you think you should. And with that, we will call it truly the end of episode 12. Bye bye <laughs>